important in the legislation is to stop foreign interference in our election, to reduce the role of big, dark, special interest money, uh, again, to have uh, redistricting done by commission and not by uh, partisan redistricting, to have voters choose their elected officials rather than elected officials choose their voters. And again, removing the role of big, dark, special interest money in our electoral process. Well, that sounds terrible. Radical. Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles. This is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Also in California in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. Rochester, New York's WRFZ. Down in New Orleans on WHIV out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ. Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, in Janesville, Wisconsin on WADR, and in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day for you on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Deprogrammed Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow... Says me from bradblog.com. Welcome to the Bradcast. I have got a lot to get to today, Desi Doyen. But For a change. Yeah, but I, <laughs> so I don't even, I'm not sure how I'm going to not click on this headline that just came in from oh, yeah? NBC News. Okay. As I was giving the intro there, but, but I'm going to not click on it. I'm just going to tell you what it says. Okay, yes, please. So the headline is Space Hurricane. Any idea yet what this is about? No. Uh, And the text is, Swirling mass of plasma raining electrons observed above Earth for first time. Oh, okay. What do you mean, okay? That sounds sort of troubling to me. It kind of sounds like the beginning of, you know, Independence Day movie (laughs) or something. Well, I have some idea about it. It probably has to do with the coronal mass ejection from the sun, which tends to disrupt uh, electronics on on, on the planet. And so perhaps they've observed the exact phenomenon itself directly for the first time. Oh, well, get you. (laughs) Well, I'm just saying. That's impressive. So I hope it's not a mistake that I'm not going to click on it. We'll just go with your explanation. (laughs) I'm I'm hoping that we don't find out uh, by tomorrow the world has ended. But I just have too much stuff to get to. Okay. So that's going to have to wait. Crossing my fingers. 
the world still exists by tomorrow. That said, uh, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this either, but because it is so maddening, I feel like I just need to note it here. You know, we spoke with epidemiologist Carl Krupp of the University of Arizona earlier in the week, and he shared his concerns about a fourth COVID wave that could be even worse than the third one uh, over the uh, uh, fall and winter particularly if we are stupid and, as he feared, uh, if we start to, quote, uh, screw it all up again. Well, the next day, sure enough, the GOP governors in both Texas and Mississippi, both under fire for their disastrous response to a winter storm almost three weeks ago that has left tens of thousands in both states without water even today, both governors announced that they were lifting all statewide business and masking restrictions in their states. And so I just just for the record, I want to note that Axios reports today uh, the return to full capacity for businesses in both states comes as uh, today's data now shows that while infections and hospitalizations and deaths are still currently declining in most states as of today, New COVID cases in the state of Texas rose by 27% over the past week. That was before horrible Governor Greg Abbott opened up all businesses to 100% capacity on Tuesday. So great work, Governor uh, Governor Abbott. 27% rise in cases, and you're opening it all up again. Nice job. And meanwhile, in Mississippi, where horrible Governor Tate Reeves also scrapped all of the restrictions on businesses, along with the statewide mask mandate, new cases in Mississippi, get this. We're up 62% mm. over the past week. That, by the way, is the biggest jump of any state in the union. So, yes, of course, open it all up. Well done, Texas and Mississippi. Thanks for screwing things up for all of us. But also, by the way, thanks for adding more fuel to my call to let uh, Texas go independent again as quickly as possible. Uh, so that we can finally build the wall, yes, across the uh, southern U.S. border above Texas to keep them out of the United States. Yeah, too, I don't support too, that. Too too harsh? <laughs> too harsh? Well, anyway. Uh, okay, so now that I've got that out of my system and I'm worried about what is swirling above the earth for the first time... <laughs> Uh, on Wednesday, before scramming for the week under what Capitol Police described as a, a reported credible threat of a new violent attack on the U.S. Capitol by Trump-supporting right-wing extremists, on Thursday, uh, House Democrats passed sweeping voting and ethics legislation over unanimous Republican opposition, advancing to the Senate what would be the largest overhaul of the U.S. election law in at least a generation. House Resolution 1, H.R. 1, or the For the People Act, which touches on virtually every aspect of the electoral process, from election security to polling place access to automatic voter registration, guaranteed early voting, ending congressional gerrymandering, not to mention ethics reforms for all three branches of government, and taking on dark money in campaigns to require some actual transparency. 
That bill was approved on a near-party line, 220 to 210 in the U.S. House on Wednesday night. The bill, as AP describes it, is a powerful counterweight to voting rights restrictions that are advancing in Republican-controlled state houses across the country in the wake of Trump's, that would be Donald Trump's, repeated false claims of a stolen 2020 election. Yet... It faces what AP generously describes as an uncertain fate <laughs> in the Democratic-controlled Senate, where it has little chance of passing without changes to procedural rules that currently allow Republicans to block it, despite Democrats holding a narrow majority in the chamber. Yes, Republicans are able to use an undemocratic procedure, the filibuster, in order to block the largest and most crucial democracy reforms in a generation, frankly, in several generations, in fact, they're able to use that to prevent it from being adopted. Given their arguments against this bill, it's a good thing they got that filibuster because they don't actually have any real arguments. Here is Georgia's uh, Republican Marjorie Taylor Greene explaining uh, her opposition to H.R. 1 on Wednesday night. Mr. Speaker, I rise in opposition to H.R. 1. While we're talking about voter suppression and long lines, I'd like to point out that there's real voter suppression that happens right here in Congress. Many members of Congress have to stand in long lines to enter the chamber, going through metal detectors, emptying our pockets, and being treated very disrespectfully. So that is real voter suppression, and it's is a it, shame that it, it happens right here on the House floor. Standing in line to vote is not voter suppression. It's just part of the voting process, just like people stand in line to buy groceries at the grocery store. Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. I yield back. Yes, yes. Just like when you stand in line, you know, just when you have like when you have to stand in line at, at the, you know, for three or six or nine hours to buy your groceries. I hate when I have to stand in line at the grocery store for nine hours. To I buy know. My groceries. People bring you food, even though you're in a grocery store and water. <laughs> Chair. But the real voter suppression is that she has to go through a metal detector. That prevents her from bringing a gun on the House floor, yes. But oddly enough, does not prevent her from voting. But that's voter suppression. It's Republican logic. Standing in line for nine hours is not. Anyway, uh, so uh, this bill will put a stop to the voter suppression that we're seeing debated right now, said Congresswoman Nakima Williams. She's a a new representative. She represents George, the uh, Georgia district that deceased voting rights champion and civil rights icon John Lewis had held for years. This bill, she said, is the good trouble that he fought for for his entire life. To Republicans, however, it would give license to unwanted federal interference in states' authority to conduct their own elections. Ultimately, you know, by the way, just the way that the U.S. Constitution says is allowable. Uh, but they say will ultimately benefit Democrats through higher turnout, most notably among minorities. So while they are claiming that this is some sort of federal takeover of elections, not that there would be anything wrong with that, to be honest. Uh, but the GOP, their opposition is about the fact that this will allow more people to vote more legal voters to vote, which Republicans feel will harm their prospects of getting elected in a political atmosphere where they have no actual governing ideas beyond preventing voters of certain political persuasion from being able to cast a vote. They seem to have completely given up 
on the idea of winning an election by winning a contest of ideas and values. And they are now simply hoping to suppress as many votes as possible, period, to make voting as difficult as possible, period, again, for certain people. And to gerrymander districts uh, to their advantage, however possible, in hopes of winning elections by brute force, essentially. H.R. 1 would require states to automatically register eligible voters as well as offer same-day registration. It would limit states' ability to purge registered voters from their roles and restore former felons' uh, voting rights. Among dozens of other provisions, it would also require states to offer 15 days of early voting and allow no-excuse absentee balloting. So, uh, you know, just like going through a metal detector, I don't even know what that lady was talking about. I'm not sure she does either. The bill would mandate the nonpartisan commissions to be set up to handle the process of redistricting congressional boundaries instead of already gerrymandered state legislatures doing it for us. It would create a uh, system of public financing for congressional campaigns. Another section that's been a focus of Republican ire, elected Republicans anyway, if not their actual voters. I'll get to that in a second. So another section uh, would force the disclosure of donors to dark money political groups. And that's just a sample of the massive, long overdue reform in H.R. 1, the For the People Act, that would bring, you know, to American representative democracy, some of which, by the way, does not go far enough, as the bill, as currently written and passed by the House, includes a huge loophole that, while mandating uh, a hand-marked paper ballot for all voters who may want one, allows elections officials to not offer that option at the polls, but only via mail-in voting, if they wish. So that's a big problem uh, with this legislation. Uh, nonetheless, it is a wildly important bill, and it would be a tremendous good for every, every voter in the nation of every political persuasion. And so, yes, Republicans in Congress strongly oppose it. While it passed the House on Wednesday, as expected, the biggest obstacle is now going to be in the Senate, where Democrats, uh, unless they do away with the filibuster, uh, are going to have a very difficult time getting this passed. It would somehow require 60 votes with the filibuster still in place, despite Democrats having just uh, just over, well, 50 votes in the Senate themselves if they all vote for it, plus one tie-breaking vote by Vice President Kamala Harris. So with Joe Manchin of West Virginia continuing to vow to never end the filibuster. Frankly, I do not see how this moves forward, even as Democrats in the Senate said that they are willing to do anything they can to do exactly that. Democrats have discussed options like lowering the threshold to break a filibuster. Maybe Joe Manchin would go along with that or creating a workaround that would allow certain priority legislation, like legislation that has to do with democracy, to move forward such as H.R. 1 and the separate John Lewis voting rights bill. Maybe those could be exempt from the filibuster rules. What do you say, Senator Manchin? Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer has not committed to a time frame for a vote here, but said that it would be allowed to come up for a vote in some fashion. But I, I truly I don't see any way forward 
without reforming the filibuster in some fashion. So it's a fantastic bill, but it dies in the Senate, as far as I can tell, unless Manchin and, by the way, Arizona Senator Kirsten Sinema agree to, in some way, reform the filibuster, the undemocratic filibuster that is going to block this democracy bill. Uh, now, still, uh, Tierney Sneed reports at TPM that advocates of the bill in the Senate are uh, calling for Senate leaders to take full advantage of the procedural tools, whatever they are, that are now at their disposal, uh, at their disposal to pressure the lawmakers that are currently standing in the way. And they say the current circumstances with the GOP rushing to pass voter restrictions all over the country and the Supreme Court on the verge of further undermining the Voting Rights Act, that this creates a do-or-die moment for Democrats. Congressman John Sarbanes of Maryland, uh, he's one of the lead sponsors of this bill. He told uh, TPM, Republicans are doubling down in every place they can, and it's against that backdrop, in that context, that it's so critical that we have these uniform baseline standards, best practices, that allow people to access their franchise. The Senate version of this bill will be called S-1, just as the House version was H-R-1. That is a sign of how important congressional leaders see this legislation, or at least how important they say they see this legislation. Uh, Senate, I wonder how much uh, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer is coming down on Manchin to do the right thing here. Uh, Schumer has committed to a vote on the Senate floor one way or another. Uh, there will be first, however, a hearing on the bill in the Senate Rules Committee, likely this month, according to its chair, Senate uh, Senator Amy Klobuchar of Minnesota. She says, my number one focus is to get this done. Well, good. Some of the focus will be on targeting Republicans. Good luck with that particularly those who have supported voting rights legislation in the past, who are planning to retire or who broke with the party on impeaching President Trump. But other advocates uh, acknowledge that changing the filibuster is the most likely possibility. And if that's the most likely possibility, oh, brother. Uh, and you know, given Manchin's firm opposition to not changing his position on it, that means I see little path forward for this measure. And boy, do I hope that I'm wrong. Some Democrats think that not just one floor vote, but maybe several could be a worthy exercise. Not sure why, but Senator Sheldon Whitehouse says you bring it to the floor a few times and let them obstruct it. Uh, he says uh, his uh, campaign finance bill, the Disclose Act, is one of the pieces that is already built into uh, S-1. He says, uh, bring them, let them obstruct it, and then you see what effect bad faith obstruction has on some of our members' views about the filibuster. That is something that David Dan, a friend of the show and uh, the executive editor of The American Prospect, says that Democrats should allow themselves to be caught trying to do stuff. <laughs> yeah, well, they should. They and then sh make a point of nailing the Republicans yeah. for their obstruction yeah. and make sure that the media covers that as well. Now, there is one other aspect that I do want to note here. Uh, while the measure is opposed by Republican officials, it is strongly supported by Republican voters. 
according to new polling. And that is uh, maybe the point here Let the that you're talking about, uh, Des, and that yeah. David uh, Dan was talking about. Let voters see that it is Republicans who are holding this up particularly since it appears that Republicans actually support this. Republican voters, not Republican officials. I believe there was zero votes in the U.S. House from Republicans for this bill when it passed on uh, Wednesday night. A new survey finds that a majority of Republican voters support this legislation. The Data for Progress poll found H.R. 1 has broad public support. More than two-thirds of likely voters, that's 68 percent, said that they would back the proposal. Just 16 percent said they opposed it. The support also transcends party lines, according to uh, this poll, with 70 percent of Democrats, 68 percent of independent or third party voters and 57 percent. Yes, a majority of Republican voters express support for this bill. Fifty seven percent. But uh, the Data for Progress poll also uh, found that a majority of respondents support major provisions of this bill, not just the full bill itself, but piece by piece they're in support of this uh, of this bill. The measures that received the most support from likely voters were the prevention of foreign interference in our elections, limiting money in politics and increasing election security. More than half of the respondents 58 percent said that they supported voting by mail, a method that was heavily used by nearly every state in the 2020 election because of the coronavirus pandemic. That, even as Republicans in state houses around the country are moving hundreds of bills to shut down vote by mail and other procedures that their own voters, at least according to this survey, actually support how that affects H.R. 1 in the Senate, how support from Republican voters somehow moves the elected officials who represent them. Well, I don't know, but I, I do think it's worth noting here. For the record, the covid relief bill. Uh, is also wildly popular. That's Joe Biden's $1.9 trillion bill, uh, which has also already passed the U.S. House, and it's uh, should be passed any day now in the U.S. Senate. The public supports that. 76% overall support that, I believe, and 60% and of Republican voters. But there, too. As that bill is being debated in the Senate on Thursday, so far every single Republican is against it after its passage in the House, where, again, not one single Republican voted for that either. Democracy, and i got to put that in quotes here, has somehow become very, very broken in this country. Uh, you know, and, and uh, to the point where even a bill meant to fix that, at least somewhat, cannot be adopted, despite its wild popularity. Uh, and in this case, sadly, um, for the H.R. 1, we have to blame two Democrats, Manchin and Cinema, right now because they are allowing this disgrace to continue. But don't worry, more disgrace regarding elections continues on the broadcast after a quick break. And as usual these days, it redounds to the shame of the GOP in Michigan and especially in Arizona. 
That and more, including Desi Doyen and the latest Green News report, all await after a quick break. I'm Brad Friedman. Five major corporations now control more than 80 percent of the media in the United States, but they don't control us. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100 percent independent, 100 percent listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. You can make a difference. Support independent media. Drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. I love you, Arizona. Yeah. Well, welcome back to the broadcast, Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. We may love Arizona, but we don't care for that song. However, <laughs> my mother loves that song. So I am playing it today in her honor. I love you, Mom. She received her second COVID shot Yay. yesterday, and she is just giddy about it. Yay. So, uh, <clears throat> so there's that. That's for you, Mom. And I will get to Arizona <laughs> in this block in just one second. Uh, as uh, hundreds of National Guard troops continue to guard the U.S. Capitol, and as Republicans, including our former disgraced president and even his vice president, who he had helped to target for assassination during the January 6th attack on the Capitol, even as all of those folks continue to pretend the November 2020 presidential election was stolen, despite all evidence to the contrary, more such evidence continues to come to light. Now, about, what are we, four months uh, since Election Day? Will it make a difference to the GOP stooges and denialists and sore losers? I doubt it. But here's the latest news on that front. As you know, there were three. But here's the latest news on that front. As you know, there were three uh, statewide counts, including one statewide hand count audit in the state of Georgia that all found Joe Biden defeated Donald Trump there in November, revealing uh, zero evidence in any of those counts, zero evidence that voting machines or fake voters somehow corrupted the results in any way. In Wisconsin as well, another state where Donald Trump pretended the election was stolen from him, uh, his own recounts that he requested, that he demanded in the state's two largest and most Democratic-leaning counties, that would be Milwaukee and Dane, those also found no evidence of fraud and confirmed the results there as accurate as well. And now this week, and I'm sorry that we have to keep going over this over and over again, but uh, I suspect the election officials who have to do it are probably even more sorry in any event. This week, we have new evidence that the results in Michigan, yes, yet another state that Donald Trump is said to have won back in 2016 but lost in 2020, uh, new evidence confirms yet again Joe Biden's win in Michigan again. On Tuesday, Michigan's Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson announced the results of the second set of statewide post-election audits. What they found, said Benson, in each and every one of the more than 250 audits that they conducted, 
is that Michigan's election was the most secure in our state's history and the results accurately reflect the will of the voters, she said. She, the Dominion voting machines used in Antrim County were found to be accurate despite claims that they had malfunctioned. Writing today at the Detroit Free Press, Benson offers more details. She says all of Michigan's more than 250 election audits are now complete, and each and every one of them, she says, affirmed the integrity of the November election and the accuracy of the results. More than 1,300 Republican, Democratic, and nonpartisan election clerks participated in the audits, she says, working across the aisle to review one another's procedures and ballots and machines in coordination with the State Bureau of Elections. Their findings eradicate any rationale for continuing to question the validity of the November elections. She says a hand count, a hand count of more than 18,000 randomly selected ballots from jurisdictions uh, across the state affirmed that the tabulation machines throughout Michigan had accurately determined the winner of the presidential election. And another hand count of every ballot cast for president in Antrim County found that the Dominion machines used there were extremely accurate, she says, with a final tally of more than 15,000 votes. That was only 12 votes different from the machine count, uh, according to the secretary uh, today at the Free Press. The audits also found that Detroit's ballot counts uh, were accurate. Uh, in Detroit and the appearance of out of balance counting boards. These are precincts where the number of voters was one or two or more in, uh, in, in one direction or another different from the number of ballots that were counted, that the appearance of the out of balance counting boards in some of the state's most populated regions was simply due to a lack of time for properly canvassing and balancing the books, essentially. Benson writes, officials found that absentee ballot counting boards had done an even better job processing and counting ballots than had been previously known. They found that election workers in Detroit had properly counted 174,000 valid ballots. The ballots corresponded to signed envelopes that were that were submitted by registered voters and reviewed by the clerk's office. And of those 174,000 ballots, the counting boards were, quote, out of balance by a net total of, ready, 17 votes. <laughs> out of how many? 174,000 ballots. She says, this clearly demonstrates what clerks and I have been telling the state legislature for years. Election workers need more time, especially in higher population jurisdictions where, where there are more voters and therefore more ballots. To correct this issue, Benson asked state legislators to give clerks two weeks prior to Election Day to process absentee ballots in a state where the gerrymandered GOP-controlled state legislature has prevented absentee ballots from being processed or tabulated until Election Day. Now, most other states allow that uh, processing and in many cases counting of those ballots to happen in the lead up to Election Day. They don't release the results. Uh, they're not even supposed to look at the results, but they allow them to process it. So often so they can match the signatures and do all of that sort of uh, procedural stuff that needs to be done. Manual labor for each and every ballot that has to be done. It takes a while. 
And so, uh, yeah, they do it uh, in the lead up to Election Day. And uh, some actually tabulate before Election Day. But in Michigan, no, everything waits until Election Day. Benson also asked for an additional week to canvas results after Election Day and to repeal a law that makes precincts that are out of balance without explanation ineligible for a recount and yet which is really uh, um, they've got a lot of ridiculous procedures in Michigan this one is one of the worst you may remember this is the law that you know we first learned about nationally uh, back in 2016 when Green Party presidential candidate Jill Stein's recount requests were blocked in many precincts a whole bunch of precincts in Detroit because the number of ballots did not match exactly with the number of voters signed into the poll books. And that can happen for any number of reasons, legitimate reasons. For example, people might uh, sign in to vote, but then they end up not voting. They take the ballot with them. They leave with the ballot without casting it. Or in some cases, when it comes to absentee ballots, sometimes people will send in uh, a couple may send in, you know, husband and wife may send in two ballots inside of one envelope that also throws off the bookkeeping and rather than allowing officials to hand count and figure all of this out figure out what went wrong Michigan law instead of allowing them to figure out if it really was a problem the law simply prevents any recounts at all from happening in such Which precincts is nuts <laughs> Kind of. We have a problem, but you can't look at it. Correct. Benson said on Tuesday of this week, she said, while I stand in support of secure and accurate elections that include post-election audits, out-of-balance precincts simply do not merit the criticism that has been heaped on them by officials seeking to undermine faith in the elections of some of our most populous cities. She says these efforts are dangerous, racist, and undertaken for personal and political gain. And she is right. You may recall the huge hubbub when Republicans on the canvassing board for Wayne County, that includes Detroit, remember when they tried to vote against the certification of the results from the 2020 election? Because, as they claimed, there were hundreds and hundreds of precincts out of balance. Now, never mind that uh, that balance that they are talking about came down to about 100 total ballots out of tens of thousands of them cast in Wayne County. But and, and as I recall, there were other towns also in Wayne County that just happened to be white majority towns, unlike Detroit, which were further out of balance than the precincts in Detroit. And yet the Republicans on the counting board wanted uh, to vote against certifying Wayne County's results entirely. Or they you know, said, well, maybe we'll just not count Detroit's votes instead because of all of the out of balance uh, precincts. That at least is what they tried to do until there was an uproar from the public, which forced the Republicans on the board to give up their attempt essentially at stealing the entire state. Showing the value of public oversight. And yeah, indeed, because that was all done in a Zoom meeting and it forced them to, you know, they had to hear from the public. And they and, heard a lot. And they heard a lot. <laughs> and so they they did the right thing and they changed their votes. 
Uh, but Secretary of State Benson hopes the results of this latest post-election audit across the entire state will finally lay to rest the theories that the 2020 presidential election was influenced by wide, widespread fraud in Michigan. She writes more than 1,300 election clerks, a dozen unsuccessful lawsuits and 250 audits all demonstrate the integrity and accuracy of Michigan's presidential election. Pol uh, political leaders on both sides of the aisle, she says, must acknowledge this truth and state it clearly and unequivocally to their constituents. Do you think they will? <laughs> I think she's right that it should put those concerns to rest, uh -huh. but it won't because the Republicans have lost their minds. Uh, also, uh, it should be noted that on Friday, February 12, so that's already a couple of weeks ago, Benson announced the results of the state's first set of audits. She said that those results as well reaffirmed Biden's win in Michigan. Uh, so that's Michigan. Whether it makes a difference, I don't know. But... Then there's Arizona, specifically its largest by far county, which is Maricopa County. That's home of Phoenix. Uh, and in yet another state that flipped to Joe Biden after Trump had won it back in 2016, just as Republicans had done there for decades previously. But if you think the GOP in Michigan is off its nut uh, you may want to get a hold of yourself here. You may want to sit down, sit down for this, for what's going on in Arizona this week. As Lori Roberts of the Arizona Republic reported last night, she says uh, for two months, the GOP majority Arizona Senate has been demanding that Maricopa County turn over the 2.1 million ballots that were cast in the November election. This so that they could count them themselves following several post-election audits, all of which found that the initial results from uh, Maricopa finding Joe Biden won the county uh, and, and because of its size, therefore it, uh, Biden won the state. She reports Republican senators have been itching for two months, uh, even longer, since November to get their hands on the ballots that delivered the state's 11 electoral votes to Joe Biden. Senators issued a pair of subpoenas on December 15, demanding that the country turn over, not the country, the county, mm -hmm. uh, turn over all of the ballots and the voting machines and detailed information on every single Arizona voter, among other things. So uh, that was in December. In January, January 12, the Senate president, Karen Fan issued a third subpoena ordering the county to deliver the ballots by 9 a.m. January 13th. When the county refused, contending that state law, you remember that, the rule of law. <laughs> it's a quaint little concept. The state law required that the ballots must remain sealed in a secure county warehouse. Uh, when that happened and the county refused, well, then the state Senate actually came within one single vote of tossing the entire Maricopa County Board of Supervisors into jail for not obeying them, I guess, because and they were obeying state to, law instead. Exactly, yes. exactly. The standoff has finally ended uh, last week 
The uh, Superior Court Judge Timothy Thomason ordered the county, in fact, to comply with the Senate subpoena. So on Monday of this week, Maricopa County officials boxed up all of the ballots and the early ballot uh, affidavit envelopes and began loading them onto trucks. Seventy three pallets of them. And now, according to Lori Roberts at the Arizona Republic, we learn that the Senate has no idea what to do (laughs) with the ballots. She says one would think that Senate Republicans might have made some sort of arrangements for those all important ballots by now. Uh, Given their months-long quest to get their mitts on them, they were certainly quick with their plan to hire uh, and see if this name uh, rings a bell, Des. Uh, they they had plans to hire Allied Security Operations Group. Does that ring a bell? No. This is the uh, so-called uh, group of intelligence experts, so-called, because that's what they call themselves, uh, who had provided the Trump campaign with ridiculously inaccurate so-called evidence of fraud, that oh. uh, they were the group. This was the group that uh, the uh, Republican Senate in Arizona said was going to be running this post-election hand count or audit or whatever it was that they had planned. These guys know nothing. And I talked about their leader. I think his name is Phil Watkins or something, as I recall. Uh, I had talked about him some weeks ago after he had, some months ago at this point, he had given some of the testimony. I think it was in Georgia to one of those phony hearings. And it was clear he knew nothing about elections and how they're supposed to work. Surprise! On uh, January 29, the Senate announced that it had hired, quote, an independent qualified forensic auditing firm to analyze the 2020 election results. Uh, Though Senate President Karen Fan quickly backtracked once the public found out that her idea of this independent qualified group of auditors was Trump's crack allied security crew. But the Senate apparently made no other plans for what to do with the county's 2.1% million ballots, which until this week had been stored, by the way, safely in a fire suppression vault inside Maricopa County's election tabulation center as required by state law. And now the Senate is saying, well, we never meant for the ballots to actually be delivered (laughs) to the Senate. Uh, The question is, why are they even sending them, said Senate spokesperson Mike Phillipson to uh, ABC 15 this week. Well, perhaps it's because the Senate subpoena had demanded that the ballots be delivered specifically to 1700 West Washington, (laughs) which is the address of the Senate. Oh, no. Apparently, the senators said that they had expected to perform the audit at the county's facilities. I guess they should have been more specific. Well, even if they had, they were pretty specific. 1700 Washington (laughs) Avenue. Uh, I guess they should have been less specific. Uh, But uh, Maricopa County officials, uh, even if the senators had wanted to use the uh, uh, county facilities, Uh, County officials say that the Senate made no request to use their facilities, and even if it had, the election officials there are preparing to conduct city elections uh, around the state, which first one is scheduled for March 9. Supervisor Chairman Jack Sellers wrote in a Wednesday letter to Senator Fan, quote, the county is currently involved in municipal elections and cannot permit unauthorized persons inside the election facility to you know, count 2.1 million ballots. Uh, 
The county has to ensure election integrity after all. So off the ballots went to the Senate, which spent thousands of dollars, taxpayer money, by the way, in legal fees in order to gain control of these uh, uh, ballots. And now they have no idea what to do with them. Womp womp. Uh, as Lori Roberts reports, surely if you are seeking an independent expert analysis to ensure election integrity, as our leaders have repeatedly claimed, you would have already arranged for a secure facility to house the ballots, one that is guarded 24 hours a day to ensure that no one tampers with the ballots. Surely, if restoring public confidence is your goal, she writes, you'd already have in place a plan to make darn sure that those ballots are watched every moment that they are out of the hands of the people who are entrusted by law to keep them secure. You would, wouldn't you? Senator Fan has repeatedly assured us, she says, that the Republican-controlled Senate isn't on a quest to overturn the election. It is, she says, a mere search for truth. On, 20, on January 29, fans said we must bring back confidence that the election results reported are how votes were legally cast. The Senate's forensic audit will bring accuracy and detail to the process and with that restore integrity to the election process. Accuracy and detail that begins and ends, notes Roberts, with the now homeless ballots that, for all we know, may wind up with with a with a home in fans broom closet. Robert says, I know my confidence is restored. And not only, by the way, is her confidence not restored at this point, since there is no documented chain of custody, since the ballots, I guess, are just sitting there, 2.1 million of them at this point, no matter what happens with them, if they do count them, we can't know that there was a, a secure chain of custody. So they've just contaminated their own chain of custody that they demanded. Yes, they did. So that's Arizona. Let me give you one more uh, before we go, because it sort of follows uh, a familiar theme here. This is a story that we reported last summer initially. Former Kansas Congressman Steve Watkins, he has entered into a diversion agreement with the Shawnee County District Attorney's Office in Kansas to avoid a criminal trial in the, wait for it, voter fraud case that came to define his brief tenure in Congress. Watkins is a Topeka Republican. He served one term in the U.S. House. And he faced, until this week, three felony charges related to voting in the wrong Topeka City Council District in the 2019 municipal election. This came up just before the primaries last summer. Uh, the Republican Watkins used the address of a UPS store for his voter registration for some reason. A UPS store that was not anywhere near, apparently, where he was actually living, which was at his parents' house. In addition to charges of voting illegally, Watkins was accused of interference with law enforcement because he lied to a Shawnee County detective who had investigated the matter, uh, which I guess, who knew, but apparently lying to investigators is still illegal in some parts of the country. Don't tell Michael Flynn. Don't tell. Well, take your pick. <laughs> anyway, um, he said, I regret the error in my voter registration paperwork that led to these charges, I guess he accidentally specified a UPS store as his home address. 
Uh, He said, I fully cooperated from the beginning and had no intent to deceive anyone at any time. In his statement this week, Watkins, um, the agreement calls for Watkins to uh, stipulate that the facts in the charging documents against him are true, including that he provided false information to the detective. Uh, And this he says, I told Detective Dickin that I did not intend to vote in the wrong city council election. However, I told Detective Dickin that I did not vote for the city council race. Hmm? See the difference there? No. He he meant to say he didn't mean to vote, but what he actually said was, I didn't vote. Ah. Even though he did, he did vote, and okay. we have records that he actually did vote. He said, I acknowledge that a review of the mail-in ballots indicate that it was done by mail indicate that my uh, representation to detect to detective dickin that i did not vote for the city council election was in fact false now under the diversion agreement that he entered into this week watkins a former member of congress okay who should understand this stuff he uh, uh, under this agreement his prosecution will be deferred for six months. And if he adheres to the terms, the case will be dropped entirely by September. Well, isn't that nice? Isn't that nice for Congressman uh, Watkins. Watkins? A white Republican guy from Kansas. Tell it to Crystal Mason down in Texas. She actually thought she had the right to vote. And yet she was sentenced to five years in prison for trying to do so. This was uh, she was trying to vote in. Uh, I believe it was the primary. She was trying to vote. Uh, she cast a provisional ballot because she wasn't on the list when she went to vote at the place where she had voted for many, many years. But apparently she she cast a provisional ballot and was charged with attempting to vote while she was on federal supervised release. This is a preliminary period of freedom for individuals who have served their full time of incarceration in federal prison. And it was an honest mistake, but it's going to cost her five years in jail because she's a single black mother of three down in Texas. She had stood in line. She gave her name. She gave her ID to poll workers But she was told she wasn't on the registered list, so she had to cast a provisional ballot. But unbeknownst to her, she was ineligible to vote. No one ever told her that she was not allowed to vote until her federal supervised release was over. And then, of course, six months later, uh, the police came by and arrested her. And she said, you voted illegally. They said, you voted illegally. She said, no, I didn't. I used an ID. That's not why she was arrested. She's facing five years in jail. Congressman Watkins, enjoy your six months of freedom and probably the rest of your life. Quick break, and we're back with Desi Doyen and the Green News Report right here on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener-supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. You know, 
it's it's been a long time, maybe even a whole week since we've uh, had a show talking about Republican fraudulent voter fraud and actually real voter fraud by yeah. Republicans. So Well, it's good to hear about it because so it's still go. going on. All right, we're all caught up, so let's get to <laughs> it now. Our latest Green News report. This is happening much sooner rather than happening later this century. We're seeing it decades ahead of schedule. The Gulf Stream is the weakest it's been in a thousand years, and climate change is likely to blame. The COVID carbon rebound begins as global emissions rise, plus... A Swedish brand says it's convinced no one will want a petrol engine by the end of the decade. Volvo is the latest car maker to go all electric. And they're going fast. All of those stories and more straight ahead from Bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Now going electric is an expensive process for car makers which have to totally rethink design and production. Oh, really? You mean they can't just rethink where they're going to put new cup holders? Sad. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, there has been one and only one nice thing about COVID. The uh, pollution has been way down, but now you say carbon emissions are... On the way up. Oh, yes. Now, 2020 marks the largest decline in global CO2 emissions in history, about 11 percent due to the coronavirus pandemic shutdowns slashing fossil fuel consumption. However, this week, the International Energy Agency warned that greenhouse gas emissions are already rebounding as economies slowly reopen. Now, this was predicted. China, India and the United States remain top emitters. And the data shows that the U.S. still still has the highest emissions per person by far. U.S. per capita emissions are twice that of folks in Germany and China and 10 times higher per capita than India. Even during the COVID crisis. Yes. Why am I not surprised? The United Nations warned in a recent report that countries' pledges to cut their greenhouse gas emissions under the Paris Climate Agreement are far too low. Current pledges would deliver only a 1% reduction in global emissions by 2030, rather than the 45% reduction that scientists say is needed by 2030 to have a good shot at averting climate catastrophe. The Biden administration announced it will raise the U.S. climate emissions targets under the Paris Agreement. That's in advance of a virtual global summit with world leaders on Earth Day, April 22nd. Canada announced it will join the United States in increasing its own emissions targets. Nice. And it matters because new data indicates that the Gulf Stream in the Atlantic is now the weakest that it's been in a thousand years, slowing down much earlier than previously projected. Man-made climate change is like likely to blame. The Gulf Stream acts like a conveyor belt that transports warm water from the tropics north along the east coast and onto Europe, giving Europe its mild climate. A slowdown of the Gulf Stream would bring more severe heat waves and storms to Europe and the U.S., accelerate sea level rise in North America, and impact marine ecosystems and the ocean food supply. In an interview with the Green News Report, climate scientist Dr. Michael Mann explained. This is happening much sooner rather than happening later this century. We're already seeing a substantial weakening, a weakening of this current system um, that is unprecedented in a thousand years. We're seeing it decades ahead of schedule. 
Um, and that is likely because the Greenland ice sheet is uh, beginning to disintegrate earlier than we expected, so that fresh water is running off into the North Atlantic earlier than expected, and that puts a cap on top of the ocean, which inhibits the sinking motion that drives that so-called conveyor belt. Uh, it's a reminder that uncertainty isn't our friend. In many respects, the impacts of climate change are now playing out sooner than we expected. Oh, great. Scientists warn that if governments fail to cut emissions, the Gulf Stream circulation may slow down by as much as 45 percent by the end of the century, which risks triggering extremely dangerous planetary tipping points. Scientists didn't expect this to happen until the end of the century. It's now happening decades earlier. But there is some good news. Good. At a virtual annual energy conference this week, Shell Oil CEO Ben Van Bearden said Shell Oil's production peaked in 2019, and they're diversifying into clean energy to meet Europe's target of net zero emissions by 2050. Net zero is both, I think, a a societal imperative, therefore you could argue a moral imperative for a company that wants to be on the right side of history, And it's an amazing business opportunity, Dan. Well, it's about time they get on the right side of history. Just a few decades late, but I'll take it. Finally, Swedish carmaker Volvo is the latest carmaker to abandon fossil fuels, announcing it is ending production of all gasoline vehicles by 2030. By 2025, half of its sales will be electric cars and the other half hybrids, and it will sell only electric cars by 2030, much faster than other carmakers. It also means Volvo will stop selling gasoline-only vehicles just four years from now. I love it. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find, follow, and share us planet-wide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. Excellent. Thank you very much, Desi Doyle. And thanks to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. You can do that thanks to those folks who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to help us stay on your public airwaves every day as long as we can. Bradblog.com slash donate. You can also drop me email. I am bradcast at bradblog.com and on the Facebooks and the Twitters. I am the Brad Blog. We will see you there until we see you here next time. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Go!